Productions. This show is all about the people behind the science of biotechnology and medical devices. Through the stories of the people, I hope that Lab Rats to Unicorns is able to describe the transformative process of you know, how an idea starts in the lab and eventually becomes a life-saving treatment or a product that, that helps patients with diseases. Life-saving. Victor Pescucci is a co-founder and managing general partner at Energy Capital Ventures and is a passionately devoted career venture capitalist and strategic investor. He received his BA in communications from Bowling Green State University and his law degree from the University of Toledo. Pescucci has extensive career experience ranging from vast board membership and advising experience to an almost decade-long career at USAA Financial Services. And before starting ECV, he was the managing director at Lightbank, a Chicago-based uh, venture firm. Vic and I are really good friends, and I'm eager to share his story with our listeners. So, Vic, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. Well, I mean, if we just kind of jump right in, you know, you're talking a little bit about, you know, your journey and kind of getting to where you are today. Um, you know, your kind of academic training was uh, communications and law, and what triggered the um, direction to jump into VC at, at some point. Yeah, I mean, I think of of all VCs I've ever met, I probably have the most non-traditional path into this space. Um, you know, I, like we said, we, I started as a lawyer, and when I was a lawyer, of all things, a trial lawyer. So I was going to court every day, fighting and tearing things down, and then I'm meeting these brilliant folks at night at these events that were building things and were really super happy about what they were doing and excited. And those were entrepreneurs and investors in those companies because they were creating the technology companies of tomorrow. And I said, you know what, that looks a lot better than what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and so from there, I made a career pivot into doing technology work and venture work as a lawyer, then eventually went in-house uh, for a local software company here in Chicago. And that's what got me really into the mix of venture capital because we were raising money and I was managing cap tables and dealing with investors. And I always knew back then, and this is going back, you know, 25 plus years, mm -hmm. that I wanted to be part of that venture ecosystem and help provide the advice and capital and help companies grow. Um, I just didn't know how I was going to get there. Yeah, it sound, but it sounds like you love the building elements yeah. of all of that, yeah, yeah, being kind of at the at the center of that. Did you find it hard? Making that pivot early on, because I mean, there's I, I would imagine a lot of people that would aspire that same path, or maybe be um, inspired in, in, yeah. in those types of conversations that you're having in the evenings. But I bet it was kind of tricky, like making the move from being a trial lawyer and then like just getting people yeah. to listen and say, "All right, yeah, this, let's give this guy a chance." You know, I, it was it, it was a crazy thing to do in retrospect because if that this is really in like 2001, 2000, mm -hmm. yeah, like when I started doing this, so I'm starting a firm to get into technology. I'm gonna start a law firm with no clients, no connections, no partners, focusing on technology companies and investors in 2000. Yeah, right. Right, and yeah. you were here I was. doing yes. technology companies. Yeah. Remember the dearth, yes. it was just, it was Everything not. fell off a cliff, yes, yeah. yeah. And so here I come starting this law firm and then kind of built that up. So there was the subject matter learning curve of learning the underlying transactional work and, and that types of things. And then there was building the network and it took for uh, forever. Yeah. And what really was the um, kind of big turn was one of the guys I was trying to get business with for years and years said, well, I won't give you any of my business, but I will hire you to be a general counsel for my company. Yeah. So yeah. that's what did it. It was, and it was funny, I tell people it was that overnight 
10 year journey or yes. overnight success. Like yeah. I woke up one day literally at my desk at USAA and I was like, wait a second, I'm managing a $330 million fund and yeah. we're making investments. So like, how in the heck did this happen? Yeah, exactly. Because right? I went yeah. from startups to down to San Antonio for more startups, then to this big company yeah. and then kind of instigated them to do these one-off venture investments, yeah. which you know, I jokingly say was probably the worst type of corporate venture program ever, right? <laughs> Completely ad hoc, no process, no defined thesis, just super opportunistic. Yeah. And then evolved that into a full fund and program. Yeah. And yeah. so it was weird. Well, and that's a sizable fund too. I mean, $330 million and getting going there. And you know, what were there things that you learned there that kind of later informed, like, like you said, maybe it wasn't, um, there were opportunities, um, but the, the process, can you maybe drill down a little bit about yeah. what, what you mean by process too? Yeah, you know, it's getting things done, and you've kind of seen this from both sides of the table, getting things done inside of a large organization, let alone a Fortune 100 company, yeah. is, you know, you, you feel like if it's got 30,000 employees, there's 30,000 agendas going on, yeah. right? And yeah. so how do you get people to align around something and agree to do these things, especially something like venture capital, which is so foreign to these yeah. large companies, exactly. right? Yeah. It's almost the antithesis to them. Like, right. you've got... You've got agility and speed and urgency, and then you've got rigor, right? Process, (laughs) regulations, yeah. And so, you know, I think going back to the earlier point about building, you know, when I was sitting there on the corporate side, it was if you're going to help entrepreneurs build, I always thought you had to bring more to the table than anybody else if you're going to win those hard deals. Yeah. So. I think the real learning process for me in there was how do I corral the resources that are there outside of the capital I can provide Mm -hmm. to help accelerate these companies, whether it's commercial agreements, industry insights, Mm -hmm. partnerships, channels, whatever it is. Um, And so that was a a relearning, a huge learning. Yeah. Because um, VCs always talk about that value add. They want to be a value added yeah. partner. And those are all the elements of what where you were adding value just beyond the, the money. Yeah. So yeah. you try to do similar to what you're doing here, yeah. right? Yeah. With the network and the space and everything yeah. else that's here. Yeah. So that was it. And then figuring out, okay, how we, what's the most effective way to get deals done, right? We need to be able to decide in a very short order whether we're going to invest or not. Mm-hmm. And especially for those hard to come by deals. So threading that needle with large organizations too. Yeah, like moving at the speed of the market, right. but but that isn't necessarily the speed of the, the large organization that you That's USA not the AA. speed of the Fortune 100 or financial <laughs> services, right? right? There's one on a stopwatch, one on a sundial, yeah. right? right? And so it's like, how do, we, how do you align yourself with the right people that can instill the trust in you that enable you to make those decisions with a proper oversight yeah. uh, on it as well? Yeah. So, you know, that was a big process to get that done and then revamp it on a quarterly basis based on changes in the organization. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I got to ask you though, um, with your origins of being a a trial lawyer and kind of how you were describing, you know, you're kind of tearing things apart and oftentimes you'll hear, you know, a venture capitalist is going to, you know, tear a business plan apart, you know, kind of, (laughs) and you know, did you, were there techniques that you utilized that you applied over your career again in, in a, I mean this in a positive sense, like positive way. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's so much interchange. I mean, I think about it as an entrepreneur. I mean, there, there, there's a lot, a lot to, you're on stage as a, as a VC, you're on stage as an entrepreneur when you're in meetings together where, you know, one is trying to, you know, pitch to the other and trying to explain, this is my idea. And this is something that I think 
think can really um, build value and you can benefit from that value as a venture capitalist. And as a trial attorney, I just wonder, are there various things that you may have taken from that that, that helped you? You know, it's super interesting now, John, looking back at it, is when, you know, most people that go from law into venture, they've gone from the transactional side, right? But I went from, like you said, the trial work to transactional, then to VC. Mm-hmm. And so I tell entrepreneurs this every day. I was like, I used to be a lawyer, so people would lie to me all day long, <laughs> right? And so what's really going on? And, and so there's that critical analysis and judgment that comes with, okay, let's just kind of what's puffery, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And what's kind of vision versus yeah. the reality. Yeah. So I think when you're dealing with people in depositions and arbitrations at trial and cross-examinations where they're clearly trying to get from puffery to almost um, just outright yeah, lies, lying. <laughs> right? It's like when you're talking with entrepreneurs, you just get it. So I get it because, and you get it too, like mm-hmm. we both had to raise money for our funds, yes, right? right? So we were pitching how many times a week? Yeah. So we understand what it's like for the entrepreneur Absolutely. to be pitching yeah. every yeah. time during the week. Yeah. But then I think what helps for that early legal training is understanding kind of like seeing where that line is between, okay, what's really happening, what's puffery, what's yeah. crazy vision, yeah. and, and what's possible. Or to use the word like triangulation, like yeah. what you're hearing and then trying to match it up with some form of credibility. You know, yeah. is there um, is there something in that story that uh-huh. you could tie back to, you know, a recent success that they had, or, you mm-hmm. know, they've got a customer that would demonstrate that the vision that they have is supported by some, you know, fact in, in the present. Right. And, and yeah, there's always this, and I, I kind of, uh, sometimes I talk about the the, the, there's a fine line. There's the, yeah. uh, on one hand, you know, um, from from an accounting perspective, when you look at like the value of a company, you know, you use the term book value, yeah. and you can look at a, you know your your balance sheet and kind of figure out what the book value of a company is. Um, but there's also a uh, value in the market that um, you're trying to get the value in the market to be higher than that. Right, right, right. Book value, and premium. usually the difference between that higher, you know, stock price. And market value and the and the book value is uh, a vision for the future. Yeah. It's where you're going and, and a conviction that you can grow, and and so I think it, it, you can't you don't want to be just you know marketing your book value. You right. want to market above that, but got to be there the are gradations yeah. of that. Right, you've always got to be marketing yeah. that vision and yeah. getting folks there and getting people to agree with it. Yeah. I also think what was interesting too is not just going from trial law and transactional work, but I, and so from raising our own funds so we can relate to the entrepreneurs now, but also working inside a large organization gave me a greater understanding and appreciation for what it's like for these entrepreneurs to sell into these large organizations. Mm, yeah, sure. So, cause I used to sit there with our CTO or CIO mm. or CISO looking at, you know, these vendor deals and doing, taking vendor pitches, which were yeah. all the startups trying yes. to sell. Mm-hmm. And so I understood the enormous gauntlet these entrepreneurs were running yeah. Yeah. to get through a procurement in these large organizations. Yes. So when it gives me a deeper appreciation and respect for these entrepreneurs, when they show me they pulled like a $50,000 software license out of one of these large organizations, yeah. right? Yeah. Because having seen what they go through and what these large organizations put them through, yeah. It's you know it's it's nothing short yeah. of a outright crusade against them that they have to fight to get it done. So yeah. I think it always it, it's been helpful to look at these contracts and these license agreements that these entrepreneurs are able to get in partnerships with these large organizations. So as you got going um, and you know really you were your own entrepreneur in the belly of this large organization and kind of creating something you know unique and for the first time and, and applying it 
setting and establishing some processes. Was there any key influencer? It sounds like the individual uh, that brought you on board, you know, that um, you mentioned earlier that uh, wasn't willing to, you know, hire your firm, but decided yeah. I'll, I'll bring you on board. Would you consider that person a key influencer? Or was there anything that was kind of continuing to like push you down the path or any person that you kind of began to look toward that maybe inspired you to kind of keep going that down that VC path? You know, I think what, I mean, there's the first opportunity I got here in Chicago to actually get inside with the belly of the beast, get inside of a software company, an emerging growth company, Series A company, and mm -hmm. help them grow. So I think that was just a game-changing opportunity for me to go from that, get into the the true technology industry in the, in the belly of the beast and help grow something. Mm -hmm. And I think when I made this crazy switch from sell, small sell-side companies to this large Fortune 100 company, I think I went, I know, actually, I went into it thinking, like, this is probably not for me. Mm -hmm. Like, this is not going to last very long. I'm yeah. not a, a buy-side guy. I've never been into a corporation bigger than 100 people, yeah. let alone 30-plus thousand. I was like, so this isn't going to last. Like, how much fun can I have, and what's the greatest impact I can right, have? Right, right. Yeah. So, like, when I first started talking about doing venture deals, people were like, yeah, we don't do that here. <laughs> right, right. They're like, you know what? Shut up about that. You're going to get fired by talking about <laughs> stuff like that. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get back to Chicago eventually anyways. Like, let's just make a difference and, and kind of um, do some interesting things. Yeah, push the envelope. That's going to help. Because I looked at it going, we are going to rely on these technology providers, these startups for a huge strategic effort, whether it was selling cars online or personal care or cryptocurrency, whatever it was. Mm -hmm. We're going to rely on them. They're relying on us as their key partner yeah. and their beachhead. So why not get the alignment that only comes from putting money at risk mm -hmm. with them um, and then that, that insight as well and risk mitigation that comes from uh, investing. Mm -hmm. And so there wasn't any key person. It's just that key perspective that mm -hmm. I was like, Let's just push the envelope because this is probably going to last. Now you wake up and you're there 10 years later. Yes. You're like, hmm, yeah. that was interesting. <laughs> right. um, but I think there were just a bunch of great executives that were there along the way at USA. They're like, okay, let's give us a try. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think in the reality yeah, was. Yeah, you had to have had some internal champions that supported you and kind of concierge you, your way to the approvals of, yeah. you know, some of those deals you're trying to get done as well. Yep. Yeah. No, that's, that's, that's cool. So then you jumped into the software firm, you got into the operations, the belly of the beast, as you've yeah. described it. Um, and then you kind of move forward thereafter as you, you know, continue to kind of take that experience on the operations side. Um, you know, you kind of got back, back into venture. And then today, I mean, I look at energy capital ventures, maybe you could talk a little bit about sure. what you're doing there, what the focus is, and maybe, what caused you to get it started? Yeah. So um, Energy Capital Ventures is the only early stage venture capital fund that's solely dedicated to the ESG imperatives and digital transformation of the natural gas industry. So in addition to that unique thesis that makes us advocates for innovation in what we've termed green molecules, we tend to further differentiate ourselves with a deep integration and a customized engagement model with our strategic limited partners, all of whom are publicly traded utility companies. Mm -hmm. So similar to some of my background we've talked about in the past, we use that relationship and that model to be a platform of innovation to bridge the best of what's going on in the startup ecosystem yeah. relative to green molecules with the scale of the utility industry. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so very that, consistent with that large company yeah. is the ending buyer, you know, your experience there 
your follow-on experience as the you know uh, startup right. software operations person, and now bridging the gap of trying to find that marketplace for, in this case, more energy ventures fo- focused on uh, on natural gas. So you know, before when I just had one key corporate sponsor, now I have seven LPs in a, a traditional GPLP setup with a traditional venture economics and governance around it. Um, and so we um, started, you know, we had our final closing in July of last year. So um, we're spend, we've closed two investments so far. Hopefully do another couple this year. Um, but for the, for me, again, this was a kind of jumping in the deep end and a change from what I had done. Right? Mm-hmm. Historically, my background had all been in financial fintech mm-hmm. and insure tech right. um, with some great companies um, like Coinbase and MX and ClearCover here in town and yeah. Snapsheet and Extend and just on and on of these great kind of fintech and insurtech companies. And when I left my last firm um, and was looking for my next opportunity, I called one of my current partners, Rick Vitone, and I said, hey, Rick, I'm, you know, Rick works for IA Capital and they raise money from insurance companies um, in a traditional GPLP setup and kind of do the combination of strategic investing, but for financial return. I'm like, don't you think it'd be great for us to team up? And he's like, absolutely. Been waiting for you to get off the bench. This is great. <laughs> he goes, but it's not going to be in financial services. I need you to do stuff in utilities. And I was like, Rick, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, I'm like, I just... I don't know anything about it. And he's like, read these analyst reports, look at the industry. Um, I'm going to set you up with coffees for the CEOs of their current LPs. Yes. Um, she goes, just talk to them. I'm like, they're going to let me on their calendar. He's like, yeah, just talk to them. Yeah. yeah. And see what they have to say. And I think playing the tape forward, what the utility space, especially the national gas industry, is going through right now is what financial services went through 15, 20 years ago. Interesting. With a lot of the same macro conditions, right? So they've got regulatory obligations, both state, federal, just like financial services, new technologies that can either enable or disrupt them, customer satisfaction challenges, aging infrastructure, um, like more of the kind of a, a workforce that needs to evolve into the workforce of the future. It's the same exact things, financial services. Yeah. So at the macro level, it made a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, and listening to these executives, I was like, when I think I can help them yeah. because I've helped other executives go through this. Right. Um, and then, so from there, then we, so there was a pattern yeah. based on your prior experiences, but you also had seemed to have a common theme throughout the arc of your career too, is your, you have a lot of courage to try new things too, and maybe are even stimulated by that rather than kind of doing the same thing over and over again, facing new challenges, yeah, whether it's moving from a trial lawyer to being VC, VC at a large company to now moving into operations. I mean, that's that's kind of cool. And I think probably has sharpened your skills and readied you for raising your first fund too, in a way. It's, it's courage or craziness, one of the two, or maybe just a little bit of each, but it was, it was something where I was, just looked around. I was like, I can see some. I can see those patterns. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was joking. I went from, you know, a company down south to working for an international company and talking to CEOs. I'm like, when I was talking to our CEOs, our LPs now, I was like, it's the same pressures, the same concerns. Mm-hmm. Just the accents of the people I'm talking to have changed. <laughs> right? right. And and so then it came together. But then we kind of supplemented with technical folks, um, both on the team and advisory board um, that are deep into the science and technology of this. And then it's like everything else. When you start something new, you just have to, you have to, can, 
submerge your whole self into it and yeah. learn as much as you can, right. respecting that you're never going to know as much as the person that's been doing it 20 or 30 years and being really upfront with them. Yeah. Because you've seen a tune and I've seen a VC as well where the VCs think they know everything. Right. And yeah, just have to have the health respect for those folks both the entrepreneurs as well as those executives that they've spent their whole life and put their whole life into this. So they're always going to know more. But how can you know enough to be supportive and additive? Yeah, and, exactly. And, yeah, no, right. well said. And I'm, I want to get into the science in just a minute, but before I do, it might be worth um, stepping back for a minute too, just for the audience, just maybe dissecting a little bit too when you talk about limited partners, general partner, venture capital fund. I think people think about people that aren't really kind of in the space or the area hear the word venture capital and they just think it's money. Now you've elaborated and said yeah. it's more than that. It's it's value add, it's that knowledge, it's connections, it's how to build a team and and all those other things that go with uh, the money that, go, that, that gets invested in. Um, but I think it's interesting to hear you talk even about, you know, you raised the fund and maybe you could talk a little bit about what what's involved there. You and the, the LPs that you have now, um, ultimately, you're going to them as an entrepreneur and right. you're saying, I want you to invest money with me. And then ultimately, that fund gets formed and then you are, um, you know, kind of the, the, the one charged with yeah. Yeah. making the most prudent decisions around where to put that money. Talk a little bit about like venture capital for, you know, um, the, the general broader audience in terms of that and maybe how you put the fund together too. You know, I think it's it's interesting because when you first get exposed to the industry, you just think venture capital is really about making the investments, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. doing the deals, right? Because right? that's all you see, even like going way back up until Rosalie, that's what I always thought it was. But then you realize you can't be a venture capitalist unless you can raise capital. Mm -hmm. Right. And so the real job is to raise the capital and then deploy it. Mm -hmm. So until you really get into the business, until I got into the business, I didn't realize that venture capitalists, their job is to raise money. People give them money and entrust them with the ex expectation that they're going to get a return on it. So when we raised this fund, there's the different pools of capital generally you can raise your venture capital from. There's high net worth individuals, there's family offices, which gets you to kind of the ultra wealthy, there's pensions, endowments, trusts, and then corporations. Um, we looked, at, we ECV looked at our background as corporate venture capitalists, traditional venture capitalists, investment bankers, which are my partner's background. And so we, we're comfortable on, with a differentiating approach that we're probably really good at understanding corporate, corporations mm -hmm. and executives because we spent careers with them. Yeah. So why not start first by raising from corporations mm -hmm. and understanding what their needs are in innovation and in technology and use that as our primary LP base to grow the fund. So we went to them with a pitch, like entrepreneurs go to their investors with a pitch of, We've got a track record of providing financial returns as investors. Yeah. We've got a long history of understanding corporations and industries like this. Why don't we do both for you? Why don't we be your strategic advisor, do quarterly deep dives on technology industries of importance and relevance? Let's do monthly updates on companies and spotlights of interest. Um, but also, we will be responsible for making the investment decisions. We will make those all on our own. Um, we'll stick within our thesis around green molecules, um, which gets ESG and digital transformation, um, and provide both financial return, hopefully, um, as well as this strategic advice that's back. So we're a little different in 
both in, in some firms that we've got kind of a dual responsibility. We've raised money from these corporations with the expectation we will turn it, but there's also an expectation that we provide a certain level of service to them. Yeah, so the so-called strategic investor yep. in, in many ways, and, and their, their purpose, with all the investments that they could be making on their own, they're choosing to kind of place that money with you, along with other you know like-minded um, industry LPs, that you're gonna find unique things that they couldn't otherwise find right. on their own and provide them some insights and knowledge that you know inside the, that large you know, organization, they can't right. really get access to that. And, and the return profile of a venture fund you know, versus uh, you know, investing in you know, bonds or right. you know, putting a savings account or whatever. seeing fixed, yeah. which is what they're mostly in. Exactly, right. it gives them maybe a greater exposure to a higher level of potential return right. as well. Yeah, you know, it's a, we look at it, it's a great kind of portfolio effect for them when they look at their pools of capital, what they do. And then also, you know, a lot of these corporations do have connections to the startup ecosystem, mm -hmm. right? They have got innovation groups. Some of our LPs have their own innovation groups, they have their own venture groups. But they've come to understand and appreciate that there's just a different level of understanding and insight they can get from a venture firm, a traditional venture firm, than they can from their own people. Yeah, yeah. Because there's the entrepreneurs will relate to us a little differently than they will with a corporation mm -hmm. and vice versa. So together you kind of get the best of both worlds. Yeah, yeah. And inevitably there'll be things where they see that we don't, mm -hmm. but there's always this vast amount of companies that we see that they won't, right? Yeah. Because a lot of companies uh, aren't ready for venture capital and they don't see us as, aren't ready for corporate venture capital. And they don't see us as corporate venture capitalists, they see us as a traditional venture firm as they should. Yeah, and they, they wouldn't otherwise get that exposure to that early, all those nuances you described too, and they're, they, they likely will be missing out on those by those time the companies that are developing those novel technologies right actually you know begin to, yep. to hit right. and so it becomes too late for them to get engaged so having that early access to you know what's up and coming whether investing or just even being aware of what's going on exactly special thanks to our sponsors world business chicago connect with world business chicago the city's economic development agency and discover more about the city's vibrant life science ecosystem from Chicago's global universities and research institutions to its diverse pipeline of skilled talent and vibrant neighborhoods, as well as its cutting edge lab and office space, Chicago has the fuel for your company's success. There's no better place to build a life science company than in Chicago. You know, maybe if we switch gears back to the science, you've sure. used the word green molecule a few yeah. times. Tell me what a green molecule is and maybe just talk a little bit about the the science that you're seeing and, and, and the makeup of types of companies that you are looking at that would be candidates to invest in. Yep, and so I think when we talk about green molecules, it's kind of good to look at the corollary to it, which is the green electrons. So you've got lots of venture firms that are out there with um, an electrification approach, focusing on the grid and technologies to make the grid more efficient or generate electricity through wind, solar, those types of things. Mm -hmm. We looked at the market and there was no one focusing on the molecular side. Okay. Like how do we make natural gas green? How do we make it cleaner? How do we make it more effective? How do we make it more efficient? Um, and so that on the science side, on the molecular side, that gets us into things as um, hydrogen. 
we do a lot in hydrogen. So um, one of our first our first portfolio companies is a synthetic biology company, Sabita Factory, out of Houston. And they're using synthetic biology to decarbonize heavy industry. So they're using their molecules that they're training um, and creating to mine hydrogen out of the ground um, from spent wells and pull out hydrogen. Um, they're doing sustainable aviation fuel with United. They're doing um, bioethylene for carbon-free plastics with oxy. Mm -hmm. So using those molecules to decarbonize heavy industry mm -hmm. and create a lot of what could be the next generation of products for these natural gas industries. Mm -hmm. right? So when it comes to providing gas, flowing gas, like whether it's hydrogen or renewable natural gas, which is also something Symbita's in, that's what our folks are interested in. That's where we're playing. That's where we've got the deepest understanding. Yeah, got it. And I think, you know, as you mentioned, uh, synthetic biology, that strikes a chord, you know, just it's interesting kind of the core science can apply in many different directions, yeah. you know, and it can go, you know, deep into life sciences and can become the basis for a new molecule to become a drug at some right. point or a delivery vehicle. And in this case, it's being, you know, applied to, you know, uh, natural gas and looking at um, optimizing, you know, how, how you make it or well, how you approach that, that whole pathway. Sanvita started originally in pharmaceutical and pharmaceutical discovery oh, with their molecules. Yeah. Um, but then they had a breakthrough literally around some molecules they found in a decaying banana okay. that they were able to realize, well, wait a second, we can train these molecules to eat carbon huh. and create new things. Yeah. Um, so they actually started as a life science company yeah. Yeah. Um, and then found this interesting path. Uh, as well, it's funny. It's not the same story, but I uh, the, the the story of the discovery of uh, NutraSweet. I don't know if you know that story, but no. you know, it was a uh, it came out of uh, Cyril and Monsanto. Um, but a scientist was working on a formulation for a new drug, and the, at least the legend is, you know, that uh, there was substance on the counter, and it, you know, touched that gentleman's uh, finger, and somehow he put it up to his tongue and it was very sweet. <laughs> and as they dug into it, they realized that uh, aspartame, which became NutraSweet, was this novel compound that they oh. had made for different purposes, but became, you know, a replacement for sugar for, for many years. That's funny. And they, you know, they filed a patent on it and yeah. it became a very valuable franchise yeah. for, 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 for sure. them. But anyway, just yeah. that's a little bit of a, you know, going down a little bit of a rabbit hole. But I just, it's interesting to see different, there's serendipity that happens even in the yeah. course of a company right. that has a very clear and deliberate pathway to be a biotech company focusing on life sciences. But it has to be nimble and find, is that the right application or... Yep. Should we go in a different direction? And that turned out to be true in that company's case. Yeah. Yeah. So it's funny because they the the banana peel kind of story that's there. Yeah. If you're on a United flight, they'll part of that you know commercial they do it before you take off. They show the banana peel and they talk about their oh. work now in sustainable aviation. That's great. So. That's great. Well, I just came back from the J.P. Morgan conference. Ah, and yeah. I saw that on the way back. <laughs> so it's good to know. It's good to know. Um, well, you know, but. The other thing I'm interested in is, you know, we often talk a lot about, you know, ecosystems and the importance of being close to the innovators and the scientists, and oftentimes those can be found in clusters. Is that the case uh, in in um, 
in, in looking at energy as well? Um, are you often going to, um, it seems like you're probably mainly focused on the companies, but oftentimes they're, you know, formed by scientists behind yeah. them. Are there key thought leaders in the area that you're kind of targeting or, or any geographies that are hot for this type of work? Or just curious if that's the case at all. We, we are seeing clusters of technology companies coming together. And, and those clusters are kind of coming together um, similar to other technology clusters. Like there's a university, there's a corporation, there's some capital, and then there's the entrepreneurs. A lot of those entrepreneurs are coming out of the schools or coming out of the corporations um, or kind of um, coming up through other startups that are there. So we spend a, we see a lot of that happening in Houston, mm-hmm. right? Because you've got a lot of those chemical companies oil and gas energy companies that are there. Mm-hmm. You've got the universities right. and you've got a thriving entrepreneurial ecosystem that's yes. coming around that. Yeah. And they've got a couple of regional venture firms there as well. So there's that. And we're also, believe it or not, seeing it in Calgary as well. So um, Calgary has their own energy sure. um, sector or cluster of companies up there. Okay. They've got a couple of large corporations. Um, they've got an emerging venture ecosystem um, and the universities that are there as well. So in a government that provides a lot of great incentives um, for um, startup companies, if I you see. do your R&D in, in Canada. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, you know, entrepreneurs, and that's obviously a, a really key important element of you know making an investment building a company around the technology entrepreneurs are important too can you talk a little bit about attributes of you know an ideal entrepreneur as they're pitching and telling the story and you've kind of gotten into believing in the technology um what are some of the key things you're looking for in that in that entrepreneur yeah, you know, f- for us, kind of similar to you, we're investing at the earlier stages. We're mm-hmm. kind of seed plus to Series A. So if I've learned anything, it, the most important thing is the team, because things are going to happen outside of their control, outside of everyone's control, and the unexpected is going to happen. And the only thing that's going to get through that are teams, and are these management teams, and are these leaders. So what I'm looking for is this type of leader that can inspire and lead in their own way. So at the, like, and when I say on their way, there are some that are more technical focused that their technical prowess just makes other people want to follow, mm-hmm. right? Then there's the others that are the more charismatic, kind of deal-oriented sales folks mm-hmm. as well. Um, and then you've got the other operational folks that are just so operational dialed in that people just want to be a part of something that efficient. Mm-hmm. So I'm looking for a leader and looking for a team that can inspire and inspire people to leave their corporate jobs to come work for them, right. inspire customers to take a risk on their emerging technologies. And then most importantly, I want because as an early stage investor, there's only so much we can invest. I want to see someone that can inspire later stage investors right. to come in their company. Yeah. And so I don't, any anymore, what I've learned is not to have any particular type that I that I think is better than others because yeah. I've seen successful ones as your deal sales oriented yeah. oriented your kind of almost timid technical oriented folks sure. yeah. and then kind of your hyper intense dialed in yeah. operationally focused process yeah. person as well um, and so I've seen men and women across all those different types of skills and traits yeah. be successful yeah. it's just a matter are they good enough in any one of those things that really inspires folks to say yes I want to be a part of that I love that description yeah and I love the the, the, the way you've kind of uh, talked about you know the openness toward you know what but the common denominator in, in 
any of those three categories or phenotypes, if you will, yeah. were, as I kept hearing you, you kind of uh, repeat is, you know, can they inspire yeah. to bring others in that want to follow them? Yeah. And yeah, that's uh, oftentimes, and you probably get this a lot too, the, 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 you know, that first time entrepreneur is always thinking, I got to raise capital, I got to raise money. But raising a team is really important yeah. too. And being able to kind of inspire and, you know, attract the talent not only in those early days, but having the ability to be in a position where if the company succeeds at that, you know, early proof of concept, they do have to scale. Yeah. So scaling becomes a challenge and leadership and having people that kind of have the, you know, the abilities to kind of, you know, move through a couple different iterations yep. of company growth become important too. It all comes back down to leadership and their own kind of personal excellence, because how many times I've seen like these CEOs be able to retain and engage, engage like that key hire where one plus one becomes 17, yeah. right? It was just the right team they were able to bring in either on the product side or the marketing side or the sales side that just completely changed the whole trajectory of the company. Yeah. And you know, they just, or they, that key customer contract or that key business development channel, like they were just able to do it. And once they do, and once they bring the team around them, it just goes like nothing I've ever seen. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the things that, um, as we were describing, you know, the nature of a venture capital firm, you uh, kind of walk through, you know, raising money, then the process of investing and selecting companies. Um, you know, once you make the investment, a lot of your activities are not operational, right? I mean, you're on the board oftentimes, or you're observer, yeah. or you're on the board. Can you talk a little bit about that? And maybe even the nuances of going with your experience of being an operator and entrepreneur right. yourself. And uh, in the case of making an investment, being on the board, the difference between, you know, uh, being on a board versus being yeah. the CEO or being yeah. in the company and the operations and challenges that go with that too. Yeah, I think as time goes on, and I think what would be good for the, the folks listening is you really understand the different phases of being a venture capitalist. Like when you're coming from the outside and just starting, you think it's just about the investing. Then you realize, well, it's not about, you can't make the investment unless you raise capital. So you've got to be able to raise capital, then you've got to be able to do a deal. But then once you're in the deal, then the work really starts, yeah. right? And so we ch we take board seats on all our investments, um, either observers or full board seats, or sometimes both. And you know, over the time, I, when I first started in this business, I probably talked too damn much at board meetings, right? Because you just want to give and direct and help. And then I realized, like, where I'm at now in my career is. I firmly believe, and I tell everyone this and tell the folks on our team, it's management's role to run the company. Mm -hmm. We're there for help. We're there for advice. We're there to provide a perspective and our network. And when they ask, and hopefully the reason why they put us on the board is to ask these questions like, well, what do you think? How would you decide? I will always tell entrepreneurs, here's the factors I would evaluate. Here's how I would weight them. And here's how I think I would end up on a decision. But I know from being inside the company and being on boards and being an investor in large corporations, no one knows that company better than the folks on the inside. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, in fact, I went to work. One of the biggest eye-opening experiences for my uh, career was I actually went to work for one of my companies I invested in, a company here in town. Okay. And this is a CEO I'd known for five, six years before I even invested mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. in his company. We had hung out. We had known each other. Yeah. I was on the board. I gave him his first Series A check. I'm like, I know this company better than any other investor out there. I know my portfolio companies. Yeah. 
Then I went to work for him, or actually um, someone that was on his team that worked for him in the company. I was like, holy shit, I don't know anything about this company. <laughs> and so now as an investor, I take that as well to go, no one can make a better decision than that CEO, right. than right. that SVP of sales or the chief revenue officer. Yeah, I'm there to say, here's what I've seen in 35 other companies I've invested in and yeah. been on the boards of, here's what I'm hearing from folks in the industry, um, or let me put you in touch with somebody that can help you make that decision. Yeah. But you know, as the on the board, I spend as much time as I can listening and try to get, and obviously participate, but I really want management to own those decisions and make those decisions. Yeah. And hopefully if we're doing our job right, we're spending as much time with the management team outside of the board meeting, or hopefully a whole lot more outside than we are in. Yeah. yeah. So helping through the day-to-day -day decisions and then you know, the board is reserved for those larger strategic discussions. Yeah. Approvals and things like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you know, if you expound on that a little bit further too, you know, as, as you, um, if you are an entrepreneur, you know, I always counsel entrepreneurs too to, again, get beyond the money. You yeah. are going to have a lot of different choices for money if you've got a good idea. Right. Never easy to raise capital, but um, capital is available, but finding the right partner behind the money right. becomes really important because oftentimes, more often than not, that money will come with someone on the board. Right. And any thoughts or concepts to share with entrepreneurs as they think about how, who to partner with when they raise that money? I mean, money is critical, and, right. and it, it is a, a, an awfully important priority. You know, you got it's it, it it's it's not just goodwill right. that's going to pay the bills and 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 pay the employees, but but finding the right partner is important. Important, and maybe just that nuance that goes with how that ultimately shapes a good board too. Yeah. I think, you know, if we go from the baseline that good entrepreneurs and good companies can get money anywhere, so why do they need yours? Mm -hmm. Or so as an entrepreneur, how should you pick your venture partners yeah. that are there? Yeah. And I think first and foremost, what most entrepreneurs have to realize that it's not a firm that you're taking money from. It's an individual and a partner on that board, mm -hmm. right? So we're a small fund, so it's super tight knit, right? Yeah. There's the four partners um, with myself and then um, Julian Stefano as the investment professional. So I think we're all kind of there, but especially once you get to the larger firms, it, it's you don't get a firm, you get that partner mm -hmm. in the firm. And mm -hmm. so a lot of the most successful, largest venture firms I know that have been around 30, 40 years, it's not necessarily a team, it's kind of this loose contingency of warring tribes, mm -hmm. right? So like make sure the partner you have at one of these light at these large firms is the right partner for you. Yeah, and so point. the right partner for you may be somebody that, like, I'm really upfront with people. I'm not going to provide a load of help on the technical side of things, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I, and if you need a venture partner that's going to be more technical, there's probably a better firm for you, right? Right. Yeah. I, you know, I can't help on strategy and retain and um, um, hiring and business development and sales and sales models and those types of things. But so as an entrepreneur, you have to know what do you need on your board. So who do you currently have on your board, and what's the skill set you want to bring around that, mm -hmm. and that network as well that that venture partner is bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. So it's really important for the entrepreneur to decide, okay. First of all, what's the right size and stage firm that I should be talking to? The partner in that firm, is that the right partner for me? Not just from their skill sets and what they bring to the table and their experience, but is it the right personality? Yeah. Like everyone's gotta be super self-authentic with themselves and upfront and self-aware to know, okay, this is probably an entrepreneur 
I can work with for the next 10 years. And as an entrepreneur, you have to say, is this the type of VC I want around my company for yeah. the next 10 years? Yeah. Whether they're going to be on the board or not, there's a 10-year relationship, at least, that they've got to be looking at there. And so is it the right kind of person? It's almost like dating, right? Is it the right personality yeah. type? Is it the right chemistry? Right. And so it's really important to focus on that because once the deal's done, it's done. Yes. Right. right. Yeah. You're married. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> and yeah. so you better make the right decision going in. And like I tell, good entrepreneurs will have options, yeah. um, but they have to find the right fit for their company at that stage, especially relative to the other folks. That's a great perspective. Well, you know, I mean, talking about, you know, um, your career, talking about the fund, talking about the nature of raising the capital, deploying the capital, uh, recruiting a team, leading a team. It's a busy role. Uh, you have, you know, a lot on your plate um, and I'm just wondering, you know, from, uh, from, from my perspective, you know, it's, it's hard to establish balance at any given point in time right. and, you know, um, work life balance and, you know, all, all of that, especially in today's world, you know, it's a, it's a constant flow when you're the entrepreneur and the founder of whatever it's a fund or a company. Um, it's, it's a, it's pretty all consuming right. process, it's, but especially at certain points along the, the, the buildup of that, of sure. that, uh, company or that, that fund. Um, and so work-life balance can sometimes, it's not like, you know, what's happening in 24 seven or in a given week, it might be how do things cycle over a given period period of time. Nevertheless, there's always a lot, you know, on, on a founder's plate. So right. how do you manage, uh, as best as possible, you know, keeping some balance so that you can have, have some fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's fun doing yeah. what you're doing. That's exhilarating. Yeah. It's an adventure, but just fun outside of work just so you can keep that, uh, refresh, refreshing view toward the work life as well. Yeah. You know, I think when it comes to work life balance, everybody has to come up with their own definition of balance, mm -hmm. right? Because there is no definition or there is no balance that's good for everybody. What's balanced for me is probably completely unbalanced for other folks and, and vice versa. So I think the easy way to kind of keep it in perspective, at least for me, is to understand what you're doing is for a bigger purpose, a bigger reason, and that it's more than just the fund, it's more than just generating returns, it's about really making this massive difference that you think is only gonna be done from your company and bringing these unique uh, skills and companies and, and firm to the table. So I, you know, I probably, from an objective side, my work-life balance is probably awful compared mm -hmm. to most folks. But I think most people I work with and my family understand that I'm really impassioned about what I do. Yeah. Um, so they understand that kind of comes with the territory. But for me personally, I have to balance things out both physically, mentally, spiritually, and do everything I can around keeping a consistent workout, consistent diet, meditation practice, drilling practice, um, just to get some peace and harmony in things, yeah. and then understand, you know, at the end of the day, both of us, um, you know, have families that, at the end of the day, you know, our family's gonna be a whole, around a whole lot longer, probably, than right. our businesses. So to focus on that and make sure you're really there yeah. at the critical points. Yeah, yeah, no, well, well said. Well, I mean, going to the big picture now, you know, kind of looking out on the horizon, I mean, energy is such an important front and center, yeah. you know, uh, aspect to, you know, um, global concerns, right? right. Um, we're reading about it every day right. um, in, in one form or another, whether it's you know, electrical, electric vehicles, sustainability, um, you know, as you mentioned, wind energy, solar energy, yeah. it's, it's top of mind for, you know, the, the world needs transformation right. as it looks at its future, you know. Um, 
what are some of your do you have any thoughts or themes or predictions you know next 10 to 20 years in your world like yeah. what are some of the transformative things that you get the most excited about possibility wise so I th- there's you know kind of where where i like to see this world go and where i like to see energy go is especially within the energy specs there's some people that almost have a zealous religious alignment to things like it can only be their way and nothing else mm-hmm. and it's got to be electrification or nothing it's got to be natural gas or nothing i think all industries are going to transform and evolve over time. And it's not about an or, it's about an and, mm. right? So there will be a case and a time for electrification. There will also be a natural gas solution that's there. Part of the natural gas solution will then evolve into things like hydrogen and renewable natural gas at scale. Mm-hmm. Um, where I see the things I'm most excited about, what I like to see um, are, we do like things, like I said, that are happening around hydrogen. We do like what we're seeing in the next generation of membranes that are coming out for gas separation, direct air capture, because we have to find a way to take carbon out of the place where the carbon is, Mm -hmm. the hard to do places, planes, industrial, commercial, cars. And and the car solution isn't going to be just electric, Mm. right? There Mm -hmm. will be hydrogen vehicles. There will be natural gas powered vehicles. There will be those types of things. So I, I, I think we're gonna have this learning curve over time that if you standardize on one technology, it will be to the exclusion of others that will do a disservice over time, both to communities and the environment. Yeah. Um, and when I say communities, it's communities of all socioeconomic status yeah. um, and means. And so you have to provide for everybody. Um, so we're seeing that. And then I'm also excited about a lot of the software-enabled solutions that are coming out that are helping companies understand what their ESG transformation should be. Mm-hmm. So they can see the costs, the benefits. Companies like are Sorry to talk my own book. Um, Actual, which is an ESG transformation company um, that we've invested in recently that helps folks, uh, helps these large corporations understand their ESG transformation. So what should they do, whether it's lighting, whether it's fuel sources, whether um, it is telecommunications, what, should, what, is their, what is the ESG implications of what they're doing and where they need to go? Mm-hmm. And how is that going to be visible throughout the whole organization to justify their decisions around ESG to shareholders, their community activists, um, employees, and like, the key stakeholders? Yeah. And the way you describe uh, that, you know, ideal you know evolution you described yeah. an evolution i mean it's it's trans transformation happening kind of in different um areas right. of um new technology um across a range of different modalities sure. um to your point not one path at the exclusion of all the others it's going to be and right. to you to use your description you know if you look at that though that's there's a there's a you kind of implied in that there's an element of time. Mm-hmm. Do you think 20 years out is a time frame where we will see and, and kind of experience things in a, in, a, in a very different way than we do right now? Or is that like a 50 year thing or we got to wait? You know, it's it's beyond our yeah. our generation or what, what are your thoughts on that? I think we will definitely see material changes in the next five to 10 years mm-hmm. through these technologies for a couple of reasons. One, a lot of the large utility companies are investors as well as others and people outside of the energy sector have made their net zero commitments mm-hmm. and put them out there. And they've got some of them have 20 
2035, some of them have 2030, some of them have 2040, some have made 2050 commitments. Yeah. So these technologies are going to be key to these companies making those commitments and dealing with their, uh, their emissions factors. Yeah. But then you've got things like nuclear that's going to be a 50, 60, 70 year horizon that's on there. So sure. to really get fusion to where it's, I would say, commercially viable yeah, and commercially yeah. usable. Yeah. Um, and there'll be different things. And now we're seeing things like, you know, geothermal, which has been around forever, mm-hmm. um, you know, essentially just drilling deep into the earth and pulling out heat and steam that can be used for heating, power, or cooling. Yeah. Um, has now, with the new technologies and the new drilling and the new understanding of geology, yeah. can become commercially viable. Yeah. So it's fascinating. Who knows? Yeah. I'll open up my email tomorrow and still be a, some other amazing thing that's going to blow my mind. No, that's very cool. Yeah, I know you're in an exciting space. Well, you know, I, you know, as we wrap things up, maybe I'll just close on more of a, you know, a, a reflective question that is, you know, we've got this audience that's listening to you talk, and I'm sure many are thinking that sounds like a really interesting career path. I'd like to, you know, find a way to move down um, uh, following Vic's footsteps. You know, if, if you look back, you know, on your pathway that you described, what advice would you give, you know, to, you know, an earlier version of yourself? Take, you know, pick freshman year, yeah. you know, uh, freshman year of college, yeah. you know, what, what's your advice? Yeah. I, you know, I think, Freshman year, I had no idea what I was going to do. Um, but I think for all the folks that want to get into venture capital or they want to get into the entrepreneurial world or the technology world, and I think the important thing is you can get there. You don't have to go through the traditional means. Like, I didn't grow up in one of the coastal towns. Mm-hmm. I didn't go to the right schools. I didn't have the right degrees. But I was able to get here. Yeah. So no one should be able to tell them what they can or can't be. Mm-hmm. And if you really believe in what you're doing, if you really want to do it, mm-hmm. and you just do the best you can every day, you can get there. Yeah. It may not be that linear sequential thing that you want. Sure. It may be this horrible up and down circuitous thing, yeah. which if it's what you really want to do, yeah. it's not going to bother you. Yeah. Like you'll get through that. Right. But I think it's a lot of it is what I've learned and what I did and the way I eventually got here was, First of all, I spent as much time as I can learning as much as I could. Yeah. And what I realized early on is there was no way I could know everything, mm-hmm. but I could know a lot more people than I could things. And then if you were helpful and had good intentions and were authentic, those people were willing to share what they knew with me and their connections and help out as well. Yeah. So I think it's really about doing your work, knowing your stuff, and then getting out there, meeting people, and seeing where you can help, seeing where you can add the most value, and it's seeing what you bring to the table. It's great advice. To your earlier self. <laughs> Vic, it's been a real pleasure. I mean, I'm inspired by everything you're doing. Um, you know, I get the benefit of, um, you know, uh, working in the same space yeah. as you. So um, I see you working over there every day and it's it pushes me to work harder <laughs> as much as I can. Um, I, I share your your passion and, and I think we, we have a lot of, you know, kindred spirit between us. I, um, you know, I, I just think that the the field you're in um i'm really excited to see what happens with you know the investments that you've you've made and the impact that you're you've already made but you know you it, you you're in you're in your next chapter um steering a ship forward in a very impactful way and um i'm just excited to see what what happens next well thanks i appreciate it, it was great being here we love being in the space it's a key element of who we are as a firm and, and how we're doing things so it's it's just a blessing to be here Thanks for joining us today. It was another great episode. I hope you enjoyed the conversation with our guest today and were inspired the way I was. Looking forward to reconvening again in two weeks. Please visit our website at labratstounicorns.com. We welcome any of your 
comments, feedback, ideas. If you want me to ask certain questions of guests or you have ideas of people that we should be interviewing. That is all goodbye.